I think it's fair to say that for many of us, the last couple of weeks have brought us a rather huge range of emotions, including frazzled, triggered, depressed, confused, conflicted, annoyed, and enraged. Beloved friends of mine who have, who have survived sexual assault have felt their wounds of abuse reopened and their traumatic memories revivified. I'm one of the lucky ones. I've been relatively untouched by violence of any kind, which means I've been able to watch the spectacle surrounding Judge Kavanaugh from my usual sardonic remove. But for my friends who are survivors of rape or sexual assault, this has been a very intense time of reliving old and, in many cases, unresolved traumas. A news commentator recently said that the split between the left and the right in our country is getting to the point where we are approaching a stalemate, neither side capable of seeing any truth in the other's position, both sides becoming increasingly polarized and frustrated and alienated from the other. But in my opinion, we are not in a stalemate at all. We were at a stalemate while countless thousands of Roman Catholic children were being abused and silenced. We were at a stalemate while people like Harvey Weinstein and Bill Cosby got away with their crimes. We were at a stalemate while newspapers refused to print stories of Dr. Blasey Ford and so many others. But we are clearly not in a stalemate now. The toothpaste is out of the tube, as they say. The voice of the oppressed is rising throughout the land, and it will not be silenced. Our culture is going through a painful time of transformation, a transformation that's running on anger and chutzpah and tears and truth-telling, a transformation that is as unsteady and as strong as those two women who cornered Senator Flake in his elevator just to say, look at me. It's not easy. There is much struggle ahead. It's never going to be easy for survivors to speak their truth and demand justice. But this is not a stalemate. Whatever happens with Judge Kavanaugh, there is no stopping this train. There is no silencing this voice. One of my favorite biblical scholars, a guy named Helmut Kester, makes the point that Jesus was not a naive utopian. For all of his talk about love and mercy and forgiveness in the realm of God, he had no illusions about how that love would be received. He said, Jesus did not raise utopian hopes, neither for himself or for his disciples. His call to discipleship did not promise paradise on earth as a result of fulfilling the commandment of love. Whoever wants to follow him must be prepared to suffer. The kind of love that Jesus was talking about was not a love that would turn the world into a happy, clappy woodstock of harmony and good vibes. 
No, Jesus understood that a life in obedience to God's love carries sometimes painful consequences. This is why Jesus had such a profound personal authority. His disciples could see how he loved, not just when it was convenient to do so, not just when he liked the person, but always, even when that love brought him face to face with his own executioner. They could see how Jesus understood the consequences of this love. It's not a love that suits our purposes. Rather, it's a love that transcends our personal purposes. Its object is far grander than our tiny little lives, but gives our tiny little lives their ultimate purpose. This is the kind of love that gives survivors of abuse and violence the courage to speak their truth because it is a love born of truth, the simple truth of what happened, the unrelenting human face that refuses to hide or go away or be covered up. It's a love that can hurt. It hurts the survivors to speak their truth and it hurts us to hear it. But to those brave women who are coming out now to speak their truth, for the pain they have endured as they meet ridicule, shame, victim blaming, mansplaining, to speak the painful truth is an ultimate act of love. Their love is making our world a safer place for our children and our grandchildren, and we all owe them a great debt of thanks. So what does any of this have to do with this quite terrifying gospel reading for today, the one in which Jesus says, if any of you put a stumbling block before one of these little ones, it would be better for you if a great millstone were hung around your neck. If your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off, etc. All those awful, hard-to-hear sayings. These are some sayings that uh, scholars of Jesus really struggle to figure out. There's not a lot of consensus about what Jesus was get, trying to get at. First, did Jesus really say these things? Or are these sayings... Uh, inserted by Mark or by a later editor, um, words that might have been put into Jesus' mouth in order to make a point that eludes us today. We do know that this phrase about having a millstone hung around your neck was a very common saying at the time. People used it all the time to illustrate the consequences of bad be behavior. But was Jesus the kind of teacher who typically used fear and threats of violence and eternal damnation to make his point? The most reliable scholars tell us that Jesus was a man who stepped away from the apocalyptic hellfire and brimstone preaching of his day in order to teach a far more profound message that the realm of God is within us and is unfolding all around us. Stories of Jesus using fear and threats of hell to make his point are actually very rare and inconsistent with the Jesus that we know through his parables and by his example. 
But we do know that Jesus, like many teachers of his, of his day, loved to use hyperbole to make his point. This was clearly one of his favorite ways of stirring up the pot, using extreme language like cutting off your hand or plucking out your eye. That would have been a typical way of signaling to his audience that he was talking about something very important. And we know that Jesus could not possibly have meant those words to be taken literally. Even the most fundamentalist of preachers concede that point. So it seems that Jesus was using extreme language to get our attention around a very important point. And what was that point? It was simple. Remember, in this scene, if you were here with uh, Nathan's sermon last week, Jesus has his arms wrapped protectively around a child. He has just gotten done saying, whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Jesus is looking around the room and he sees the look of confusion on the faces of his disciples. A child? What's he talking about? Children don't matter. Jesus sees that look on their face and he realizes he needs to drive home a very important point. If any of you put a stumbling block before any one of these little ones who believe in me, it would be better for you if a great millstone were hung around your neck. It's a pretty simple message, really. Don't mess with the children. Here we witness the fierceness of Jesus. If this is the one issue that gets Jesus threatening hell and damnation, you know what? I'm actually kind of okay with that. Because Jesus is protecting children from a culture that routinely and blithely abused them. And he's using the strongest possible language that he can think of to get his point across. He's as fierce as a mama bear. He's showing his teeth. He could not be more clear. Cherish your children, protect your children, and don't you ever let me catch you hurting them because there will be hell to pay. This is the fierce energy that we're seeing in the rise of the Me Too movement. And at long last, in response to the abuses of the Catholic clergy, finally we're beginning to wake up to the outrage Finally, we're finding a little bit of moral clarity. Finally, there's some accountability. Finally, the world is listening. This is not a pretty energy. It's as piercing and as harsh as a fire alarm. And God help you if you're on the receiving end of it. It's an alarm bell that should have been pulled centuries ago, but now, finally, help is on the way. This is a messy business, and not all of it is good. There's a very real danger that the rights of the accused will be just as ignored as the rights of the victims were for centuries. The presumption of innocence, which is the bedrock of civil society, seems to be treated with contempt by some who are quick to level judgment based on little more than rumor-mongering. But no movement toward justice is easy or painless because 
Love is not painless. The way of love is the way of the cross. This pain that we're feeling is exactly that. It's the pain of love coming into the world. It's the birth pangs of God's kingdom. It's the exquisite pain of a world coming home to itself, a world making room for all of its citizens, especially its most vulnerable. If this pain is possible, then this love that is coming into the world is also possible, and then hope is possible, and then anything is possible. So take heart, O ye that travail and are heavy laden, for the journey is long and the burden is heavy, but the day of the Lord is at hand. Amen.